tonight. We are continuing our study in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17 tonight. And uh, we are going to be continuing our study in 1 John on Sundays and continuing forward as we have been verse by verse. And so, but tonight we're looking at one of the most um, important admonishments in Scripture. Um, It's simply this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is one of the most critical admonishments that we have. It's an important directive. Straight out of the Word of God. And our understanding of this, our observance of this, really does say a lot about our relationship to our Creator, our relationship with Him. And it says a lot about our perspective. It says a lot about our priority of living, whether we have that eternal priority, eternal perspective, or a temporary one. And our understanding of this admonishment has great effect on how we live for the Lord in this life every day. And so it's an important one to to look at and study. And, you know, when we consider this statement that he says here, do not love the world or the things in the world, you might wonder, you know, is John saying that we can't love pizza? Because that's in the world, right? Can't love video games, right? How tragic would that would be? We can't love sports, We can't love our car, right? Is that what he's saying here, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Well, before we go selling off everything we own and buying our brown robes and moving up to the top of a mountain and shaving the top of our head as we become monks, um, let's consider what these verses have to say because on one hand, we need to be careful not to interpret these words more strictly than God intended, which some have done over the decades, but we also shouldn't apply it so lightly that that we water down the force that it's intended to have in our lives as we strive to live in obedience to God. And so let's pray, and then we'll dig into this. Father God, we, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We appreciate everything you've done in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to move in us and through us and work um, in and through us, God, to mold us to be more like you every single day, Lord. God, we've been learning so much through this letter of 1 John, God, about about who we are in you as your children, Lord, the reality that we're not perfect people and we mess up and we stumble, but God, what we're supposed to do when that happens. Lord, we've been looking at some of the marks of of how to know we're saved. Lord, the Bible says we can know we're saved and and what that looks like, God, in our our love towards one another as we um, express our love for you. And so, God, I just ask that tonight you would continue to minister to us and speak to us and encourage us, Lord, that we would grow more and more like you every day, that we would become more and more like you every day, that our walk with you would continue to get stronger, Lord, that we would fall more in love with you every single moment, that, God, through all of that, we would simply just shine brighter in this dark world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be Christians who truly are Christians, God, that we would be people that when the world looks at us, they would see Christ and nothing else. And so, Lord, help us to understand what it is your word has to say to us tonight, the encouragement it has for us tonight, Lord, that we would be able to just follow you in the ways you're calling us to, God. So, Lord, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us if necessary, Lord. But we know you do it all because you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 
give me a second here because I had updated my notes and Dropbox decided to not update my notes. So let me see if I could get my updated notes real quick. And no. Okay. Well, whatever I updated, it was not supposed to be there. So let's read. Read with me in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is a really important passage to just memorize, to to make it a part of your life, you know, underline it, take notes on it, whatever it may be. This is an important part of the word. And there's two key words that we see here in these two verses. These two words are love and world. Those are the key words in these verses. Now, when John's writing here and he says, do not love the world, what does he mean by world, right? The Greek word used there is cosmos. It's a Greek word that could mean the world. It's a Greek word that could mean uh, like a, an order or a system. It could also mean ornaments, right? So it's used three primary ways in the New Testament. The first time, or, or one of the ways it's used sometimes is literally to refer to the planet Earth, the world, right? But it can also be used to refer to the physical universe in, in, in a context of it being separate from the heavenly realms, right? So sometimes when you read the phrase the world in scripture, it's talking about the planet Earth or it's talking about the universe in the context of, of, of creation, physical creation. That's not its meaning here, all right? Sometimes this word world is used to refer to people or a group of people. It's used this way in John 3.16 where it says, for God so loved the world in this way. Now, it's not saying that, that God loved the, the, the rock that we live on. It's saying he loved all the people that are part of this globe, this planet, the people that are part of this world. Now, that's not the meaning here either. Sometimes it's used to refer to the world system, the world system, um, specifically the organized evil world system, its, its practices, its principles. Um, all of which the Bible says are under the authority of Satan today. Now, this concept of world, meaning world system, encompasses all the teaching, all the ideas, all the culture, all the attitudes, all the activities that exist in the world system that are opposed to God, that are opposed to God's way and God's will. This world system Incidentally, is what he's referring to here with the word world is, is a system where um, it, it just the world system has a fixation on the material over the spiritual. The world system is, is about promotion of self over others. The world system is all about what pleases us the most over what is right and good. And so here, when he says the word world, do not love the world, he's talking about the world system, right? Everything in the world that opposes Christ and his work here on the earth. So he goes, do not love the world. What does he mean by love? Well, that word is a word we've discussed at length. It's the word agape. 
It's actually the verb form of the noun agape. And if you remember, the word agape refers to in the Greek to a love without conditions. A love that loves regardless. A love that says, I'm just going to pour into you and I'm going to commit to you no matter what. Now, this word agape being used in its verb form here is talking about the action of agape. And so the action of agape is basically, um, it involves a desire for something. You desire something. Or it involves a commitment to something. And so to, to, to operate in the action of agape means that you want something or you'll commit to something regardless, okay? So the idea is that whatever it is you desire, whatever it is you're committed to, the action of agape is the concept where that's where you invest your time, that's where you invest your commitment, that's where you invest your resources, that's what it means to agape in action. See, agape has been, been, been kind of taken and used to describe in, in, in human terms the love that God has for us, but the word itself you know, is, isn't an inherently good or bad word. It just refers to a love that loves without expecting anything in return. So yeah, God agapes us, right? We know God has unconditional love for us. He desires relationship with us. He is committed to that relationship with us, and so his focus is on us right? The Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. God commits his resources to us. God commits himself to us. You know, he gives us his strength. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us himself, right? It's the, it's the verb form of agape. He commits everything to us, including his son, whom he committed and sent to this earth to die for our sins. Now, biblically, as Christians, we are called to do the same back towards God, to agape in action, to, to commit our time, our resources, our desire towards him. But sometimes we don't, do we? Sometimes we'll have seasons or moments in our life where other things take the bulk of our time and our resources. And so that's what he's talking about here. When he, when he talks about loving the world system, what he's referring to is, is when the majority of your time and resources, the majority of your desire and commitment go towards the world's system, which is the world's way of doing things and the world's priorities and the thing the world says is important, contrary to God, you're loving the world is what he's talking about. Now, it's interesting, the literal translation of verse 15, you get into the Greek and you find out the, the actual literal translation, right? In English there, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. But the literal translation is, stop loving the world or the things in the world. Do you guys understand the difference? When he says, stop loving the world, it seems that John knew that the people he was writing to some of these saved believers who had been saved by God and who had come to him in faith, some of them were guilty as a saved believer of loving the world system, of having a desire and a commitment to the world system greater than their commitment to God. And it was evidenced by where the majority of their time and resources were invested. They were getting drawn away by the allure of the material possession. They were getting drawn away by the things that the world system insisted matter most. And the reality is, is the things that the world system insists matter most 
are contrary to what God says matters most. And so these believers that he's writing to here were getting drawn away into this, and he goes into further detail on what this looks like in verse 16. But they had begun to compromise with the world. They'd begun to give, give ground to the world's way of thinking, the world's way of acting, the world's way of handling things instead of God's way of handling things. And so for John, this phrase, loving the world, is, is, is letting our appetites, our ambitions, our conduct be shaped by, be fashioned by, or governed by, or prioritized by worldly values. That's what he's talking about here. So what does it look like when we are loving the world? What does that look like? Well, when any object in the world engrosses our thoughts so much that it crowds out any serious reflection on the things of God, we are loving the world. When the world's way of doing things is, is the last thing we think about before we go to sleep and the first thing we think about when we get up, we're loving the world. When the things of the world are what we talk about most. When we're unwilling to part with or give up things in the world over to God's purposes and control, we're loving the world. When we find ourselves upset with how much we have or don't have in the world, we're loving the world or in danger of loving the world. When we find ourselves secretly grieving or, or harboring resentment towards those that have what we think we should have, we're loving the world. When we lose our contentment and peace in the fact that God is the one who gets to decide who has what and how much of what, when we lose our contentment and peace in that, we're loving the world. When we pursue the world's way, and the world's stuff with more zeal and enjoy it more than we do serving God and enjoying his favor, we're loving the world. When we enjoy reputation, status, position, or elevation based upon worldly definitions and then find ourselves angry when people don't praise us the way we think they should, we're loving the world. When we seek to get stuff and keep stuff, in a wrong and ungodly manner. When all of these things characterize our behavior, characterize who we are, when these things become what we're known for, we are loving the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. We have to operate in certain ways in this world and take care of our business and follow laws, right? We, we, we have to live within this world. But when the world's system, the world's priorities start to become more important in our lives than God's priorities and God's way, then we find ourselves loving in the world, loving the world. And this is why I believe John says to his writer, to his readers, Stop loving the world, because it can happen in our lives. It could happen very easy in our lives. The devil is really good at taking frustration at our circumstance and using that to, to goad us into loving the world. 
And so John says in verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And you go, well, what do you mean there? What do you mean, John? Well, for those of you that are married, do you remember the day that you proposed? Or if you have been married? You know, you declared your love for that person. Asked them to marry you. Now imagine in that moment if they responded, yes, of course I will marry you. I, I love you. I'll marry you and I want to live with you and I want to work beside you, but I need you to know something from the very beginning here. I also love someone else. And, you know, maybe like 50-50, I could, you know, give you 50% of my heart and they'll have 50% because I'm committed over there too. And, and you, you have to allow me to continue my love for them. How would you respond if that's how the person responded to your marriage proposal? You'd probably be speechless, maybe angry, dumbfounded, right? Like, what? And to be quite honest, you'd be pretty dumb if you moved forward and married that person. Well, imagine how Jesus feels when we say, Jesus, I, I love you. He says, you're the bride, I'm the bridegroom. He invites us into this marriage relationship with him, right? He goes, look, I've paved the way. I, I paid off your debt of sin. I've done everything, and I want you to be with me. And we say, yes, Jesus, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. You know, I'll serve you. I want to talk to you, so I'm going to read my Bible, and, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have conversation with you. And yes, Lord, I want, to, I want to show you how much I love you by loving others and serving others and doing all this. But, you know, I'll do all that. But Lord, please, please, you must remember, I'm also kind of committed to the world. That's, that's kind of insulting, and it, it's pretty ridiculous, but we fall into it. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. You can't do both. It's one or the other. You can't love the world and love God at the same time any more than you could say, I'm being obedient to God and breaking his commands, which John just dealt with a few verses earlier. No more than you could say, I love you, God, but I'm going to hate my Christian brothers and sisters, which John just dealt with a few verses earlier. No more than you could say, I'm walking in the light, when you're really walking in the darkness. Now, when he says the love of the Father is not in him, what he means there is our love for the Father, okay? He's talking about our love for the Father. Our love for the Father is not there. When we are loving the world, we are not loving God. That's his point here, okay? Loving the world and loving God are not compatible. They cannot exist in the same space at the same time. It's you go back and forth between the two. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, money there is, is a reference to material things and materialism, right? 
And you can't love the world system and the things in the world at the same time as you're saying you love God. Now, John may have had this statement from Jesus in mind when he wrote this letter 50 years later. Now, we get incompatibility, right? Incompatibility exists all around us, and we should understand the concept. For example, you can't whistle and keep your lips closed at the same exact time. How many of you just tried it? They're not compatible. It's one or the other. St. Augustine said this, to love the world and not God would be like a maiden who loved the ring her lover gave her and cared nothing for him who gave it. Think about that. That's what we're doing as the bride of Christ when we find ourselves loving the world. You know, I love the the material thing more than the person. I love the material thing more than the relationship. It's when we're investing our time and our resources and our desire and our commitment on the world's ways and the world's things far more than we're doing on God and his kingdom. It's when we're investing in all these worldly things at the expense of his kingdom. Now, He still loves us. We're still his bride in that moment. But how sad is that relationship, right? How sad is it that that in that time where we're trying to say, oh, no, I'm with him, but I'm going to love the world, that we're missing out on on blessing and we're missing out of, of just the joy and the fulfillment of that relationship because we're pursuing these worldly things. Now John goes on in verse 16 to describe these worldly things and why it's just dumb to do that. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. You know, humans aren't made to love two things supremely simultaneously. Like I said, obeying one necessitates disobeying the other. And so he gets into describing these things here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. What we're going to see here is that when we're loving the world, we reveal ourselves to be idolaters. Now, what is idolatry? Idolatry is loving or worshiping the creation or anything in creation and not the creator. That's idolatry. And what's interesting is John ends this letter with little children, guard yourself from idols. So he describes it this way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. There's an incompatibility between loving God and loving the world because those things are not from the Father. They're not from God. They're not of God. And so what does he mean by these things? Well, the lust of the flesh, that's the first one. The word lust there simply means an unusually or disproportionately large or excessive desire for something. Now, we usually think of the word lust in regards of sexual desire, right? That's, that's its common use in our language. When you use the word to lust, it's, it's looking at a, a, a man or a woman in, in, a, in a sexual kind of way, but the word is not limited to that. The etymology of the word in the Greek means this, to be hot after something. Interesting phrase, right? To be hot after something. 
It could be the pursuit of a person. It could be the pursuit of a thing. It could be the pursuit of an experience. So when he says lust of the flesh, that word flesh there is simply referring to our human nature that is corrupted by sin. So lust of the flesh is living a life that is dominated by the senses or, or is excessively pursuing physical experiences. That's what the lust of the flesh is. Lust of the flesh includes being gluttonous in food. That's a big one in our world today. We don't want to talk about physical health in the world today, but there, but there is a sinful thing to be gluttonous in food, to overeat, to, to be excessive in that. And, 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 and it's something to pay attention to because that is being dominated by the sense, the, the hunger, the food, I like it, I want to eat it, it tastes good. It's self-serving us, uh, yourself in pleasure. It's being selfish in the use of possessions. It's being extravagant in the gratification of material desires. That's what the lust of the flesh is. It refers to all the desires that are centered in your nature that are contrary to or in opposition to the will of God. That's what the lust of the flesh is. It's the part of you that constantly fights against the things of God in your life. The lust of the flesh is contrary to to the desire to do the will of God. Now, those who are loving the world and giving in to the lust of the flesh can expect to see the works of the flesh that are listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. They can expect to see those works of the flesh take root in their lives. Now, what are those works of the flesh? Well, it says this in Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, which the word refers to what we would say is is drug abuse in our world today, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and this is how it ends, and anything similar. All these things are a pursuit of self are in an excessive desire for self-gratification and self-pleasure and self-want. It's a pursuit of experience or, or, or all of those types of things in a way that is contrary to the will of God. Now, those who choose not to love the world system and are rather controlled by the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22 says this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you're loving the world, you'll see all these bad things start to, start to grow in your life. But, but if you're not loving the world and you're loving God, you're going to see these fruits of the Spirit growing in your life. And then Romans 13, 14, Paul said, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now that's hard to do for sure. You might say it's impossible to do, but for the Christian who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to do the supernatural. We are enabled to do the impossible. We're enabled to love in a way we couldn't love before. We're enabled to, to, to to repent of our sins and to come to God and, and, and confess those things and receive for forgiveness. We're enabled to, to, to 
keep his commands, right? To have that desire in us growing to say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And this is a part of it, to make no provision for the flesh. We can through the power of God in our lives. Then he says, lust of the eyes. So you got lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Now, the word lust is the same as already, already described, right? It's referring to an unusually or disproportionately large or excessive desire. But he says lust of the eyes. It's, it's a life dominated by an excessive desire for what you see, what you perceive. It's not just experiencing the things, but it's like what I see, I want it. You know, David and Bathsheba is a great story of this, the lust of the eyes. King David one day goes out on his balcony. His armies are out at war. He's supposed to be out there with them. That's what kings did. But no, he's going to stay back and stay home. And then looking out over his balcony across the valley there, he sees Bathsheba taking a shower out on her terrace. And he's like, hey, I want that. He lusted with his eyes. He pursued her, he took her, he committed adultery with her, and then murdered her husband to cover it up. He should have done what Job 31.1 says. In the New Living Translation, it says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. That's a great covenant to make. Don't look on someone with lust. Now, as with the lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes doesn't just mean sexual lust, right? That's just a, a fraction of the meaning of the word. Matthew 6.22 tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So it's anything that, 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 that you're looking at with this excessive desire that is contrary to the will of God that comes in and pollutes your soul. Your eyes are very closely related to your heart. What you see affects your heart, right? Proverbs 17, 24 says, Wisdom is the focus of the uh, perceptive, but a fool's eyes roam to the ends of the earth. Psalm 73, 7 says, Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. And so lust of the eyes is someone who is captivated by what they see and also captivated by outward shows of materialism. Outward shows of materialism, right? See a new car, I gotta have it. See a new outfit, I gotta have it. See a new position of importance somewhere, I gotta be in it. See something that, 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 that is puffing someone up, I need that, I gotta be there. It's the lust of the eyes. Now, cars, clothes, and um, positions and possessions, right? None of it is sinful in and of itself. But when your desire to have it runs contrary to to God's will for your life, you're lusting after it. You're loving the world contrary to loving God. And then he says pride in one's possessions, right? In other translations, this says the pride of life, right? This is talking about an arrogant, boastful spirit of self-sufficiency. It's the pride that says, look at the material things I have. I've earned them. I worked for them. I put in the time and sweat and blood. I did it. It's all me, and this is what makes me important. It's also having that attitude, that stuff is what makes me matter even when you don't have the stuff but you just want to brag that you do. 
This is all the negative sides of modern social media. People posting fake pics of their expensive exotic vacations to exotic locations, and they're really just in their backyard with really cleverly placed camera angles. But they want people to think that they went on this $20,000 vacation to this remote island. No, they didn't. You're in your mom's backyard. This is the person who always has to one-up everybody else, right? You tell a story about, hey, we went on vacation to Texas. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you about my vacation to another country, right? They got to one-up everybody's story because the, 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 the material element of these things matters to them. This is the pride that, that it's all false views of pleasure, false views of possession, false views of superiority, and really it's the pinnacle of human egotism. And he says these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in, one pos- pride in one's possessions. John says these things are not from the Father, but from the world. He didn't say seeing things, is not from the Father. He didn't say even wanting things, like, hey, I'd I'd love a new car. He didn't say that was sinful. But he said lusting after those things, having an, 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 an irregular, overriding, excessive desire and commitment to these things, And incidentally, these things are what the world systems say matter, right? It's how big your bank account is. It's how nice your car is. It's how nice your house is. It's what stuff you, it's what's on the label of what you're wearing. It's how many followers you got, how many subscribers you have. These are all the things that the world says matter. And he's going, look, these things are not from the Father. We have to understand collectively Worldliness isn't about a list of, of don'ts, right? Worldliness isn't, isn't like don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. That's not what it's about. It's about loving the world. It's, it's not merely a matter of keeping somebody's rules. Loving the world begins in the heart before it has ever lived out in our lives, and the heart is what he's talking about here. Your intent, your motivation. So overall, John is teaching us that our relationship to the world as believers, our relationship to its system of priorities and morals really must be one of opposition. Must be one of opposition because the world is always in opposition to Christ and is in opposition to to him and what who he wants. This means that, that if you live for Christ and live for his will, in his way, in his priorities, it means that the world will be opposed to you. The world will be against you. Some of you find this in your workplaces, don't you? You know, I want to live for Christ. Oh, you can't talk about him here. I want to tell people that he's the hope for healing. Nope, nope, you can say everything but Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell people about what's happened in my life. No, you can tell people you're a great, good person all you want, but don't mention that it's because of Jesus. They hate him. The world hates him. And our relationship to the world must be guided by biblical principles that are increasingly unpopular with the world. And it's just going to get more and more unpopular with the world system around us. You know, the world loves its own, 
but hates those who belong to Christ. And that shouldn't surprise us in any way. Because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. D.L. Moody, a great preacher and evangelist, he was once asked, Mr. Moody, now that I am converted, do I have to give up the world? And D.L. Moody said, no, sir, you don't have to give up the world. If you give a good ringing testimony for the Son of God, the world will give you up pretty quick. They won't want you anymore. So verse 17 It says, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is the second reason. The first reason that we're not to love the world system is because those things aren't from the Father, and we're supposed to be pursuing what is from the Father. The second reason here, it's temporary. The word lust here, the world with its lust is passing away, is is used here to refer to all the things in the world system that can be desired. Stuff, position, fame, wealth, all of it. He says the world with its lust is passing away. And that that phrase passing away is, is in the tense that it's in the process of passing away right now as we speak. The world is passing away. Now it's interesting, that word passing away in the Greek, it was a word that was used in the theater world of the day. In a theater world. Basically what would happen is, is in the theater, at the end of a scene, the curtain would come down. And all the props that were on that stage, all the stuff and the things, they would be picked up and moved off stage for the next scene, right? And at the end of the play, the curtain would drop and all the stuff on the stage would be removed. This is the word he's using here for passing away. John's point is the world system. The world and all the stuff in the world is that, that is opposed to God is, is like a scene in a play. And it's coming to an end. And when it does, the curtain will fall and all the props will be removed and there will be nothing there. And so why invest everything into those temporary props? My identity is in that prop. It's going to get taken off stage. My my everything, my wealth, my my time, my my life is invested in these temporary things. He's going, don't do that. His focus here is, is nothing in this world Nothing that the world has to offer has any lasting value. Or to put it another way, imagine someone came to you and they said, hey, I have a great investment for you. I have a great investment, right? It's a a great deal. In this investment, you, you need to invest all your resources. You need to invest everything you own. And I guarantee, I guarantee that for the first three years after you invest everything, you will just get, get 100% return. But after three years, everything gets taken away from you. You lose it all. Now, nobody in their right mind would invest in that. Nobody in their right mind would invest in something that they knew for sure is going to permanently crash and burn. And yet, so many try to. Loving the world is simply a bad investment because the world is passing away. The stage that God has created and all the things in this world and all the things of the world, they're just temporary things that are just going to be wiped away one day, and none of it is going to last. And if you think about it, what really lasts in this world system? What really lasts in this world system, right? Today's knowledge becomes tomorrow's ignorance. 
For those of you that are older, how many times have eggs been good for you, bad for you, good for you, bad for you, good for you, bad for you, right? Over and over and over. It's like today's knowledge, oh, we discovered. Ten years from now, it's just, it's going to be ignorance. Once powerful nations, world-changing nations are today nothing more than just a passing interest for historians or archaeologists. What you know today, what you acquire today, what you achieve today outside of anything for God and his kingdom is temporary. Only God, only his kingdom, and only those rightly related to him will be forever. So, yeah, while you're here on this earth, you know, take care of business, how and when necessary, and and do that appropriately and godly. But in the big picture, invest, commit your desire, commit yourself, commit your time, commit your resources to God, to his kingdom, to his will, to his way, not this world. Why? Because he said the one who does the will of God remains forever. And so the question to close with is, is what are you loving today in your life? What has the focus of your desire and your commitment? What has the focus, the bulk, the majority of your time and your resources? What do you think about before you fall asleep and what's the first thing you think about when you wake up? What is it you go to when you're like, hmm, how should I handle this situation? Do you go to worldly sources or do you go to godly sources? To those of us who are Christians, God's saying here, stop being in love with the world system. It's a bad investment. Rather, remain in love with Jesus. Because we have to be reminded that the world will never truly satisfy. So stop seeking your satisfaction there. Loving the world ultimately just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Like cold french fries? That's nasty. Stale popcorn? Ew. Flat soda? (laughs) It's just, it's just gross, and, and, and the world is going to leave that taste in your mouth, ultimately. In this life, every object of worldly desire is in the process of passing away. So, so reason and experience and revelation from God's word all come together in an irrefutable witness that truly everything under the sun in and of this world is vanity. So to rid the human heart of this love for the world... There's a couple things you could do. I mean, one, you could try and demonstrate the world's utter and complete futility, right? You can try and demonstrate that and, and, and build a case for that, but the problem is, is our fallen nature would still pursue it. Right, going back to the verb form of agape. I'm pursuing it because it's contrary to God. <laughs> sure, it makes me feel good, but there's this element to it. It's like, no, it's just rebellion, the other option, because that option ain't going to work, is to, is to set before our hearts God himself. To, to see him and all that he is. He is the thing much worthier of our love than anything this world has to offer. To set him before our hearts so that our hearts would then yield to him. 
with the help of, of regeneration, our salvation, and the daily help of the Holy Spirit, the goal is that our love affairs with the world would end. We'd stop cheating on God. We'd say, no, God, you are my one and only love. You have my heart. You are the object of my desire. You are the one I'm committed to. You are the one I pursue. You are the one I invest in. This relationship is, 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 has my all. And then to build on that, you know, because our sad fallen hearts, our sad sinful hearts, really I don't think will ever give up their love affairs with this world until there's something greater to love. And that happens when we set God before ourselves and reflect on who he is and what he's done with us. You know, as I was wrapping this up, I thought about those who, who die without knowing Christ those who end up in hell paying the price for their sins. And I thought, you know, do people in hell still have their desires, their cravings, those worldly things that they pursued with their whole life? And, and I imagined, you know, them being there with nothing to satisfy the, the hunger and the thirst of, of their soul, right? No bank accounts or possessions of any kind for the materialist. No sexual fulfillment of any kind for the sensualist. No books or computers or internet for the intellectual. Nothing. Their appetites will remain with them forever unfulfilled because the very means of satisfying those appetites won't exist anymore because the curtain has fallen, the stage has been cleared. What a picture of eternal torment on top of just the torment of being there. What a picture of the torment for those who reject the peace, the joy, the satisfaction, the lasting satisfaction that is only found in Jesus Christ. But those who do God's will will remain forever. They'll be in peace forever. They'll be in joy forever. They'll be in absolute satisfaction forever. And if you have God's eternal life in you via salvation, the salvation of your sins through Jesus Christ, you, you will remain forever with God in heaven. And here today in this world, because he dwells with you, you're able to say, no, I'm going to stop loving the world. I'm going to have a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. I'm going to focus and invest on that and in so doing, you will have a life, a real life of meaning, of purpose, of value, because you're connected to the God of all eternity. This world cannot ever give us meaning, give us hope, or give us comfort. Only Jesus can. So invest everything there. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray, God, tonight that you would just bless us and encourage us, Lord. God, if there's any in this room tonight or watching online, they're your children. They're saved. They have a desire in their life to, to please you, but Lord, maybe right now they've, they've been disobedient to that. They've been walking in a phase where, where they're loving the world, that they have an excessive desire and commitment for the things of the world or the way of the world. 
Maybe they've been doing things the way the world says they should be done because maybe they're believing the lie from the enemy that your way doesn't work or something. But God, I pray tonight as, as we've taught your word, that person who's been living that life, Lord, I believe you've spoken to them, God. I believe you're speaking into their heart your desire for them to stop loving the world. Lord, that they would come back to the place and, and really find true and lasting peace and joy and hope and fulfillment. To find true and lasting satisfaction, Lord. To, to, to stop feeding the flesh, to put to death the flesh, to stop pursuing the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and, and the pride in their possessions, God, but to trust in you fully in all things, Lord. Those that, that have sensed that call, that, that, that drawing of them back to you, Lord, I pray tonight, God, that they would just repent. Repent of their sin. Repent of the fact they've been loving the world. Repent of the fact that they've been living according to the world's ways, Lord, and do what your word tells them to do, to simply confess, to say, God, I'm so sorry. God, I've been lying to myself, trying to convince myself that I could love you and love the world at the same time, Lord, and, and Lord, that they would say, I, I believe you, God, when you say I can't do both. And if I'm loving the world, I'm not loving you, and so, Lord, help me to come back to loving you. Lord, I pray, God, that your spirit would fill them in overflowing, Lord, and they would begin anew their investment into their relationship with you, their commitment to you, their desire to pursue you above all things. And that, Lord, any time they would ever be tempted to, to look back and to go back to those worldly ways, Lord, they would remember this verse that says, look, don't love the world or the things in the world. That they would always remember that they can't love both at the same time. And that, God, they would realize that the worldly things that, that, that are drawing them are so temporary. They're passing away. They're going to burn up. They're going away. So instead of investing in that, Lord, I pray you would empower them to invest in their relationship with you, to invest in, in your kingdom and what you're all about. And that they would just receive the, the, the blessing of that. Lord, I bind the enemy and his lies in the lives of your people. That your people would stop hearing those lies, stop believing those lies, and to hear truth, the truth of your word, God. We thank you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.